You're listening to the sermon audio from Midtree Church. If you like what you heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at midtreechurch.com. You're, you're sweating it, weren't you? <laughs> I promise I'll always come. I, I will never stay back there. I know, I know. Just, can I let y'all into our world this morning just a little bit and then we'll move past it? It seems like every computer in the world hates us this morning. Um, my alarm clock didn't hate me this morning. I hated it. Um, but ev- like everything that could go wrong on a, on a little two-dimensional screen this morning has gone wrong. So, like, so I'm in the back. And all of a sudden, worship starts, and I go, we have drums? I didn't see any drums. Nope. Somebody just forgot to press drum button off. And so now, all of a sudden, we had drums this morning. And then just so you know, we had more than three pictures of the women's retreat. But none of them, like, would be accepted. The computer was just like, no, you get three. That's all you get to show people about the women's retreat. And so, it, man, God. I always said, like, when we planted the church, I was like, as long as we have a, as long as we have God's word, we have enough. It makes me smile on the days when the Holy Spirit's like, you really think so? <laughs> let's see, let's see if you really think so. All right, guys, if you would flip in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. We are working through the book of 1 John. Uh, I think I'm going to call the series Signs of Life is what you're seeing behind me this morning. Careless cross-contamination uh, is going to be the name of the sermon. Let me kick us off with a bit of prayer. Uh, I think I may have said this. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in a chair nearby, uh, just kind of tucked in under somebody's feet. Feel free to grab that. You can take it with you. Or, I love these little things. These are our scripture journals. So we're working through the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which to orient you is all the way at the back of your Bible. So if you're flipping or going to table of contents, it's all the way in the back. Um, but we've got a ton of these in the back. $5 if you got it. If you don't, just take it. We want to get God's word into your hand as best we can. But it's also great for taking notes. And I just love preaching out of the thing. So anyway, let me, let me kick us off with a word of prayer. And then we'll be in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning together as has been just said so many times. Uh, we do not want to neglect to lift up those who are hurting. Um, and, and as we went through the community and, and helped out a little bit, one of the things that I heard a lot of was, you know, man, we are really fortunate. We are really blessed. Uh, you know, we are really lucky, all, all sorts of things like that. But Father, I know that while some people are feeling fortunate that their house was missed or that damage wasn't worse, there are others who feel utterly devastated. Um, that at the same time, some can be praising your name, others can be cursing it. And uh, Father, I, I don't pretend to understand all of the nuances of how sin has affected this world. Um, Father, I, I, I know that, that death is not, is not the goal. It is not what you are pushing forward, uh, Father, but life and light and hope and peace. And so as we muddle our way through this broken world, I, I pray that you would make us faithful, hope-filled people who are able to be cheerful even in horrible circumstances, that we would hold up the banner of the kingship of Christ. And Father, when we don't have an answer to give, I pray that we would be able to honestly say, I don't know, but, 
but I know that God was loving, and I know that he cares. I know that he cares because he sent his son, and so I know that, if nothing else. And so, Father, I pray over that. And then this morning, as we dive into this text, I just pray that you would give us open hearts and minds, Father, that we would be enthusiastic as we dig into your word together this morning. And I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Out of curiosity, how many of you are allergic to something? Yeah, okay, good. All right, perfect. All right, so, or I'm sorry. <laughs> good, no, that's great. <laughs> Will, we're all allergic to long sermons, just so you know. Um, but I, I don't know that I'm allergic to much. You're going to laugh when I say this. I think I'm allergic to cleaning. Um, what I mean by that is whenever I clean, like dust, I think, gets up in the air in my eyes and my nose. And some cats, not all cats, we had a cat that I was cool with, but then I'll walk into other people's homes and all of a sudden I'm like puffy-eyed and I can't see and you've got the nose blow, but there's nothing coming. You're just, oh, it's just miserable. Uh, recently, I, so, so uh, hmm. I just had a story and I always have to wrestle. Like, do you stick to your notes? You know, I'm gonna stick to my notes. If you want to hear what that laugh was about, I'll be happy to tell you after the service. Um, recently, uh, I, I've got four kids. The oldest two are pretty heavily allergic to something. So Ellis, my oldest, has a, a very severe gluten allergy. He actually has celiac disease. And so it's, it's, he can't play around with it. Thad has a really bad pollen uh, allergy. And so this season, it, it's just like, like the, the Civil War inside his heart. Like, yay, it's lighter longer. Yay, I get to play. And the air that I breathe is poisoning me 24-7. And, and so uh, one of the things that we realized with this gluten allergy that Ellis got a couple of years ago is we walk in a restaurant and here's what always happens. We walk in and we say, hey, my son has celiac disease and we get one of two reactions. The person goes, and they have no clue what that means and we know you may as well just walk out right now. Or somebody goes, and then we're like, oh, okay, like, you know, like we can have this conversation. But basically, when when we go into a restaurant, we always get asked this question. Now, when you say your son is allergic to gluten, are you saying it's a preference or an allergy. That's, that's what they ask because they'll say, we can do a pretty good job of keeping gluten off. So it's a, if it's a preference, if it's a health preference, you're good to go. But if he has celiac disease and the celiac inside, his bowels are going to fold up and he's not going to get nutrition and it's going to make him sick. We're not the place you need to be. And, and as I was thinking about that, getting ready to read into this, I think John is asking us this question. God's word is asking us this question about sin. And I want you to answer this, don't out loud, in your own head. Sin, is it something that your soul is deathly allergic to, or is it just something not to be preferred? I think as Christians, we we sort of try to toe a line that doesn't exist. Is sin something that is deathly allergic to your soul, will put you in the ground, or is sin just something not to be preferred? There's a better way, there's sin, but then there's a better way. Because I think when the word comes up, when I say, hey guys, good news, we're going to talk about sin this morning, typically our demeanors drop. Now that's actually a good thing. If you hear about sin and your demeanor doesn't drop, that's sort of a scary thing. But the good news is, as we read 1 John, the trajectory, I'll do this for y'all, the trajectory of the message, it's going to start low. It's going to start with, here's what sin is. Anything that, that we say, think, or do that displeases God. But then John's perspective is, sin is a reality, yes, but 
sin can be diminishing in our lives so that our joy is increasing, so that our effectiveness is increasing, so that our love of God, our love of people is dramatically increasing. So the question here is, what is our relationship to sin? Now, I want to do what I think God's word does, which is this. If you're in Christ, I want you to walk out of that plastic freezer door with a whole lot of comfort. But if you're not walking with Christ, and let me not use a bunch of churchy language, if you don't believe that Jesus is your savior and your hope to deal with the sin, the brokenness, the wrongdoing in your life, I want you to be challenged because God's word does. And then there's the third category, which is what about people who think that they're in a good relationship with God, but actually they're not. That's the scariest part. But that's exactly what John deals with. In fact, one of the most amazing things about God's word is this is 2,000 years old and it is incredibly relevant today to our souls. You can't say that about many books. Uh, 2,000 years ago, you would have gotten on a boat and hoped you didn't fall off the edge. Nobody's doing that anymore. Um, I looked up a couple of things. Potatoes, until like 1750, were thought to cause leprosy. Yeah, your spud, Mr. Potato Head, was a little walking disease. That's how that played out. But this is my favorite, and I took a picture. Uh, meet Miss Winslow. So this is Miss Winslow. She has a soothing syrup. If you have a child that's teething or having trouble sleeping, just put a little of Miss Winslow's syrup on their little, whatever you call it, passy. What do you call them, num-num? What's the other fun names for that stuff? You just put a little bit on, on that. You stick it in there. Don't, go right, don't you worry. Of course, we've laced it with morphine. And uh, the babies seem to respond very well. They, they really do tone it down. A lot. Like That was a real thing until not very long ago. Now, why do I bring this up? Because the coolest thing to me about God's word is that yesterday, today, forever, if 2,000 years from now we're flying around in spaceships, we're still going to be reading 1 John because our souls are the same. They've always been the same. So, so let's read together to, to determine, okay, is this about you getting comfort or you getting challenged? I don't know, but I think you will as we read God's word together. 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7, and then I'm going to jump to chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, if you can keep up. 1 John chapter 1, this is the message that we heard from him, being Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now drop down to uh, chapter two, verse four. It might be a page flip. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way 
in which he walked. Now remember, here's how John plays this out. It's like getting on the ride at Six Flags, the little swings that go around and around. But while they're going around, they're also going up and they're also going down. And you hop on it with the Apostle John. And what's he doing? He's pointing at this one thing, but he wants you to see it from low. He wants you to see it from high. He wants you to see it from this side. He wants you to see it from that side. And so what John is breaking down for it, he does in a number of different ways. He says, God is light and in him is no darkness. So that's one perspective he wants us to see. But then he swings in and he says, if we say that we know him, but we don't keep his commandments, we are lying and the truth is not in us. We got light, dark, truth, lie. And then he swings in one more time and he says this in verse five of chapter two, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected. So we have this keeping of the word of God or rejecting of the word of God. So John is looking at believers and he's saying, is it light or is it dark? You pick. Your life, is it truth or is it a lie? You pick. The the way that you navigate, the way that you think about yourself, is it about keeping the commands of God or is it about rejecting the commands of God? Now, here's what you have to do. You gotta fight churchy mode because we're at a church, so we all think in, in churchy mode. Legitimate question, your life, light or dark? Your life, truth or lie? And what probably happens is exactly what happens with me. And I'm like, well, both, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I got some light over here. I got some dark over there. I tell the truth over here. And then somebody says, hey, when are you going to be there? I'm like, five minutes. I'm like, I'll be there five minutes, right? On the way. No, you're not. You don't even have pants on, okay? (laughs) Which... Which is it? And all of a sudden, I begin to realize that with the Bible, with the gospel, with God's word, makes a very obvious thing is not so obvious in my life. I think that's the point. We vacillate. And if you want to get real honest, we don't. We can't even vacillate between the two until we've begun to respond to the gospel. What the Bible would say is you're in the dark. And apart from me, you can do no good thing, John 15, 5. So even trying to do a good thing when you're not walking with Christ is not doing a good thing because there's something selfish motivated in it. But once we come to Christ, then we have the option to sort of vacillate, or at least that's how it feels. But God isn't that way. Think about the way John described him, light and dark. He could have used high and low. God is high and we are low. The problem is there are different degrees. Well, I could be higher. You may be lower. It puts us in a scale similar to God. He uses the term light and dark because the two cannot mix. If you're in a room that's well lit, you can't bring in a box of darkness and go, ha ha. It's just not how it works. And in the same way, you can't walk into a dark room and light a match and it not shoot light wherever you're going. God, in his word, is setting something apart. God is definitively light. And in him is no darkness at all. The line between light and dark is so thin. And this, I think, is where we wrestle. It's incredibly definitive. And it's important because when John was writing this to believers, they were living in a culture where they didn't disagree that God was holy. They just disagreed on how to get close to him. They said, if God is holy, then I must be holy and I am close to God. Therefore, I must be holy. So I don't have any sin. I need to hit a real quick timeout. Hey, Bruner, I'm just realizing with all of the tech problems that we had, did you get that little URL? 
Do you have any idea what I'm talking about, Randy? Yes. Okay, will you see if you can find that? Because I just realized that that, that was about to happen, and it's maybe my favorite part of the whole sermon. Um, and, I, and I see it in my notes, and it's like, I'm coming, and I feel like we're not ready. <laughs> Hang on. Why is it in my Oh, okay. So a lot of people would say, therefore, I must be holy. Okay, this really happened to me when I was in college. I was, well, I, I parked, I was walking into history class, and I think I was walking alone. Um, but I walked up, and there were six or seven folks, and they were standing right outside of the student center, and they were yelling. I don't mean like, hey, you need to know Jesus. I mean, they were yelling, and they did not have, let's say, the most hope-filled message. I walked by, and the dude like pointed at me and said, you're going to hell, and I was like, I don't think you're right. That's what I was in my head, but all they were doing was pointing at everyone and telling them they weren't going to hell. So I was just like, this just can't stand, right? Like, don't get me wrong, you're right uh, about a lot. But, but nonetheless, you can't just tell everyone they're going to hell. You don't know that. And so I went up and I talked to him. I was like, hey, how do you know? What gives you such assurance that I'm going to hell? And he said, well, do you sin? I said, yeah, I wrestle with sin. Of course I wrestle with sin. He said, sinners won't, won't make it into heaven. And I said, okay, all right, well, let's talk about the righteousness of Jesus a little bit here. Let's talk about grace and forgiveness and repentance, atonement, justification, propitiation. Let's talk about some fun words here. And, but here was the problem. Here was the problem. The dude said, I don't sin. And I said, so you're saying you've never sinned? He was like, oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. I just graduated from that. I'm done. Just so you know, this is a joke I make all the time when I'm in an argument with my wife. I basically say, hey, sweetie, you know, if you would quit sinning like I have, then you would know that such and such and such. And I say it to lots of people in my life. You probably heard me say it. They know I'm joking. This dude wasn't. Like hyper convinced that he was without sin. How are we doing back there? All right, you keep working. Hey, will you, sh- will you throw up the slide that says, if we say... You can't do it while you work, can you? You can't do it. Okay, so you're going to have to, yeah, you can. Look at you go. All right, in your text, I always say whatever's on the screen is on the screen. Whatever's in the book is what you should really be trusting, okay? So if you want to back this up, look in the book. But verses 6, 8, and 10, this is how all of them start. Now, when we read our Bibles quickly, not carefully or dutifully, we miss out on things like this. What is it that God's word is putting on display What you say about yourself matters. And if you're a guy who is saying, I'm done sinning, that matters and that has consequences. Every one of our ideas has consequences. But check this out. If we say we have fellowship while we're in the dark, we lie and we don't practice truth. If we say we have no sin, sound familiar? If we say we have no sin, this is my favorite part of this verse. We deceive ourselves. I love that. Because what it's basically saying is, there's only one person being deceived right now, and that's the person saying it, because anybody who's living life around you is like, you may think you're not sinning. I'll be the first to let you know that is not an accurate statement, all right? And then in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, not only do we look like a fool, but we step into really, really dark and dangerous territory because now we're saying that God is a liar. We make him to be a liar. 
and we prove that his word is not in us. What we believe about ourselves matters. John is not writing to the murderer who is throwing himself into sin and would say, I'm a murderer, I know it's wrong, I'm doing it anyway. He's writing to people who end up in a setting like this. People who walk into a church because they believe in Christ or they believe that they believe in Christ or they're contemplating believing in Christ. That's who this is written to. And I'm willing to bet that the vast majority, if not all of us, fall into one of those three categories simply because you're here on a Sunday morning, on a morning where you had to change your alarm clock. Are y'all loving this? Are y'all, y'all doing all right? Just say no, it doesn't bother me a bit. I sort of love this stuff. We got it. Or don't you press play yet? I'm all right. <laughs> so this guy asks R.C. Sproul a question. He says, I got two brothers. By the way, are we sure we have audio? Just a pointer. All right. He, he says, I've got two brothers. Both of them claim that, that sin isn't a thing. And this is how R.C. Sproul answers. I love this. Both of my brothers are unsaved. One believes there is no such thing as sin, therefore there is no need for a Savior. How do I answer this question? How do I explain sin? Steal his wallet. <laughs> Don't you love it? That's the whole clip. The rest is just Christians laughing. Don't you love that? I, I, I mean, like, like, my brother believes that there is no such thing as sin. What should I do to convince him? Go steal his wallet. Why? Because every one of us cries out when injustice occurs that that shouldn't happen. Why do you say that? Well, because it's not right. Why do you get to determine what's right? Written inside of us as beings, the only beings in all of creation that were created in the image of God comes with an incredible amount of glory and benefit. And one of those things is, We feel injustice. In our soul, we feel injustice. And this is why what John's saying should hurt a little bit. When he says it's either light or dark, when he says it's either truth or lie, when he says it's either keeping the word of God or rejecting the word of God, the line between the two we treat like a wall that we can walk on. We treat like if there's light here and dark here, there's this nice little wall that's at least wide enough for me to tow from side to side. But the reality of it is the line between light and dark is sharp. It is extraordinarily thin. In fact, it is so thin that anything that applies pressure to it will be split in half. That's why we feel like we're living a civil war when it comes to our sin. Because we are being split in half. But it's not a sad splitting. It's a glorious splitting because one of two things will happen. You will either be split in half trying to hold on to both things and you will die. Or in a much more surgical, meticulous, Holy Spirit led way. What is split off is the old man, the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and the new man, and the spirit. And day by day, by glory by glory, and grace by grace, we become more like Christ. This is why talking about sin can actually be an encouraging thing if we're on God's side of pursuing sin. 
If we're not, it's terrifying. And we should fully expect to be split in half by the dichotomy that we're given. Jesus shows us this razor sharp line. You can't just grab a bit of this or a bit of that. Even though we may say this or that, it's so thin. So what do we do? Well, let me just show you what Paul did. This is Romans 7, verses 21 through 24. Here's what Paul says. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I don't care who you are in this room, that's true. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, the light, the truth, the keeping. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, I see in my body, I see in my mind, I see in my pursuits, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This is the best part. Paul, who calls himself the worst of all sinners, who, who is the guy in the New Testament other than Jesus, basically. It's like, it, it, you read the New Testament, it's like, Jesus, Paul. And he says, I'm the worst. I'm not even that good of a preacher, which really makes me a little self-conscious. That Paul's like, I'm not a very good preacher. I'm like, well, then what am I? Let's just go. Everybody read your Bibles every day. You'll be fine. So what does Paul do? Verse 24, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's Paul. You know what the next line is? Praise, I don't think I gave it to you guys. Praise be to God. I was on my way uh, to work a couple of weeks ago and the temperature's warming up and so uh, goats are starting to have babies. It's an exciting time around the farm. If you want to come see a few baby goats, you're welcome to come over to our house. Um, or the hordes, they would love to have you. They just told me before I came up here how much they, Daniel's not here, I'm not gonna do that to him. Um, but if you wanna see a baby goat, I was on my way out to work and I looked and Agnes, our oldest goat, was off to the side and she had a little kid sitting next to her. And immediately, like, you just can't baby goats, man. It's just great. Like joy swings into my world. And I'm like, whatever else happens today, we've got a cute baby goat, right? And then the world that steeped in sin smacked me in the face really, really hard. I'm not going to say any of this in a, a graphic way. I don't intend to. But when I looked at the mother, I realized there was a problem. There was another kid that was only half delivered, not even half delivered. There was a little hoof coming out. And so it went from, this is going to be a good day, to my morning is now shot. And I immediately look at the clothes that I'm wearing and... They will never be worn again. So I put my truck in park. I call Karen Ann. I say, hey, I need towels, I need gloves, I need whatever you got. As soon as I touched that little leg, I knew that the baby was already dead. It, it had been, it was cold, it was lifeless. Here's the problem that I found. And, and here's why I'm telling you this. That mother was walking around with death inside her. Truth. If I did nothing, the death inside her would have killed her too. And so I, I ended up doing whatever I could to try to deliver this baby. That goat and I are very, very close. She doesn't look at me straight when I walk by anymore. <laughs> we got to know each other really well, but we, we were able to. But why, why do I bring this up? Because every 
one of us. From the moment we were born, we were born with a nature of sin, born in sin, and death resides within us. That goat was unable, it did not matter how, I mean, birth is such a beautiful example of this. She tried as hard as she could. She went to the limit of her energy, to the limit of her pain, to the limit of her will and ability. She was unable to remove the death that was inside of her. So are we. Try as we may, when we desire to do good, evil lies close at hand. And just like with that goat, someone has to come in and do the surgery that we have neither the expertise, the ability, the energy, the will, the pain tolerance to do. And that only person is Christ. He's the one who comes in as the surgeon. Thanks be to God, Paul says, I have been delivered. Your sin, I'm not going to say are because I want you to personalize it. (laughs) Think about your ride to church today, all right? Your sin may be understandable to you. It may be explainable, but it's not excusable. God is light, we are dark. You can't throw a box of dark into light. It's not excusable. Your sin may be understandable, but it's no less atrocious to God. Your sin may be understandable, but it's no less dangerous to your soul. Your sin may be understandable, but it's no less sad to those who live around you. I've got a question, and I talk a lot, so I'm just going to be quiet for 15 seconds. I just want you to think, actually think about this. When are you most tempted to think that sin doesn't matter? Come up with an answer for yourself. When are you most tempted to think that sin doesn't matter? I'll tell you when I think that. I think that when I lie to myself and I say, this sin isn't hurting anyone else. This sin, I figured out a way to fence in to where it's only affecting me and I'm the one making the choice. I deserve the ramifications of it anyway. That's one way that I convince myself that sin doesn't matter. The second way is when I play the whatabouts. Well, what about that? What about them? What about this? And all I'm trying to do is make my sin shrink as much as I can by exploding it in some other area. Or... If it's really, really far away, I can sort of shield my eyes to out of sight, out of mind. Sin doesn't matter. It's why supporting things like sound choices is important. Because for most of us, the fight for abortion is not something we're going to see every day. But this is the biggest for me. I'm most tempted to think that sin doesn't matter when the fight doesn't seem to have an end. That's me. When do I stop being selfish? When do I stop being proud? When do I stop being arrogant? When do I stop lusting? When do I stop having sinful anger? When do I stop? And it just feels like this perpetual sin that refuses to go anyway. And I'm picking up on the fact that by the mood of the room as I read through those things, I'm not alone in feeling that way. That the thing, when, the, the thing that will cause me to say sin is not that big a deal is not that I believe sin is not that big a deal, but when I don't think I'm a big enough deal to deal with that sin, that I can't fight it. And, 
And this is what I think the Lord really put on my heart. I, I, at some point, we had a punching bag in our basement. I don't know whatever happened to it. And I'd put on the little gloves, and they had the little metal rod that went through them so you didn't break your fingers. And I weighed all of 68 pounds as a senior in high school, probably. And, and like, I did, I'd hit it, but it never did what Rocky did when he hit it. You know, it just kind of, that's how I feel when I fight those things in sin. It's not that I'm not fighting. It's not that I'm not swinging. The punching bag is there. Every time I leave the room, it's still there. It still looks the exact same. I walk back in. I could be hitting that punching bag every day for a year. It's still there. It still looks the exact same. But my muscles grow. My cardio develops. And when Paul says physical training is of some value, but godliness is, tra- is valuable for all things, here's what it makes me think about. Those sins that we tell ourselves aren't important because it seems like the light at the end of the tunnel isn't coming, do we realize that the fighting of them may not end them, but it does change us. The fighting of sin changes us dramatically. Think about how we illustrate the Christian life, okay? The Christian life is a walk. Hey, how is your walk with the Lord? We fight the good fight. We run the good race. We produce lasting fruit. None of it's stagnant. All of it is perpetual. All of it is forward moving. So how do you know that you're a Christian? That's what John's talking about here. If you say, if you say, if you say, light, dark, truth, lie, keep, reject. How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know? I know that I'm a Christian, not because I'm a pastor. I know that I'm a Christian, not because I read my Bible, not because I try to sing loud, not because I try to dress modest or whatever else it is. You want to know how I know I'm a Christian? Because I haven't stopped swinging yet. That's how I know. I know I'm a Christian because I don't get to ring the bell. Jesus does. I know I'm a Christian because I don't have time to look for a towel to throw in because God's word says if we take our hand from the plow, we're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. We've got to look forward. I know that I'm a Christian because I haven't stopped fighting. That's how I know. Do we get tired Yes, but there's no bell for us to ring. And the kicker of it is the win isn't for me. Win isn't for you. It's for the name of King Jesus. And who knows if every bit of blood that we shed, every bit of sweat that drops, every punch that we throw, not only does it strengthen it, when you're fighting lust, you're becoming a better evangelist. Do you realize that? When you're fighting selfishness, you're becoming more righteous like Christ in other areas of your life. The assurance that I have has nothing to do with me. Our text, this is the the last little bit. Chapter two, verse one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have an advocate. It means a defense. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He could have just said Jesus Christ. Why does he say the righteous? Because I am dark and I need light. Because I lie and I say on the way when I'm not. 
I, I blow up all of my successes and I minimize all of my failures. I need the righteous one. There is so much freedom in having the righteousness of Christ. Galatians 5.13 puts it this way. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve others. I have set you free so that you don't have to prove, you don't have to be perfect. Christ is perfect on our behalf. The best word in this entire thing is propitiation. It's where all of this like, ugh, all of this depth, all of this weight explodes on the cross and turns into butterflies that fly everywhere. It's incredible and we're so close to it, but we're not there yet. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I've got to show you this word. As soon as I find it. There we go. Jesus Christ the righteous, chapter two, verse two. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Uh, I grew up in a Sunday school culture. How many of you were like Sunday school kids? Like you were in Sunday school as kids? Okay, cool. So here is my typical routine. We're going to be in Sunday school for 45 minutes. I'm going to have to sit still. I'm 11 years old. Let's be honest, that is not going to happen. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get my mom approved hot chocolate. When nobody's looking, I'm going to put a little of the adult's coffee in there. Okay. Then I'm going to go to my class. While we're talking about the book of John, I will be in Revelations because there are dragons in Revelations and that is much more interesting. It is not, it is not healthy for you to sometimes deviate from your teachers and you find, oh, I'm rooting for Satan. Wow, that's not the way it should go. But dragons are so cool. Yeah, you got to keep reading a little, Will, okay? Because what's going to happen is you realize you're rooting for the wrong guy in the book, okay? And, and that was how I made it through Sunday school. Mr. Mac McDonald, I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. He taught us what justification was. He said, guys, and he taught a Sunday school class for years and years and years. There were three of us, four of us, years. Bunch of punk kids who just wanted to go outside and play wall ball. Like, no, I love Jesus, but can we go play wall ball? Justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Never forgot that. I think I was 10 when I was taught that. That's what justified means. I don't have anything near that good but I want you to know what propitiation is. Throw up the slide with propitiation. This to me is the best way to, to explain to you what propitiation is. Propitiation means something is held up in place of something else. So in verse two, when we read, he is the propitiation for our sins, the Bible is saying Jesus was held up as payment for our sins. And I love this because if you think of the word propitiation, which you may never say again for the rest of your life, the beginning of it is prop it. Like prop it, prop what? What am I propping up? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do you know John three fourteen? This is amazing. John three fourteen. here's what it says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Isn't that crazy? You're like, wait, the most known verse in the Bible, and all of a sudden Moses is holding snakes, like two verses. Isn't Moses supposed to be in the Old Testament? What's he doing right now? 
And as Moses lifted up, as he propped up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted, be propped up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. If you don't know the story from the Old Testament, let me give it to you in hyperspeed fashion. A bunch of snakes came into the camp. They started biting people. People started dying. Then they were like, God, we need your help. And he's like, you've always needed my help. It's a pity that it took a bunch of snakes for you to realize that. They're like, yes, it is. We still really need your help. He's like, make a snake out of bronze. Did you just say make an idol? Make a snake out of bronze. Do what the Lord says. They do what the Lord says. It's still our medical symbol today. They make the snake out of bronze. They lift it up on a pole. And and Moses says, if you look at that snake and believe that you will be healed, you will be healed. Did a snake heal them? No. Did an idol heal them? No. Did being obedient to the word of God heal them? Yes, absolutely it did. And they looked up at the snake and all of a sudden they were healed. Why is John talking about this right before Jesus? Because just as the snake was propped up, as it was held up, Jesus Christ himself on the cross is propped up. He is held up for us propitiated. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also just like in John three sixteen, for the sins of the whole world. Jesus read letter reading Moses. I don't know if you're allergic to gluten. I don't know if you're allergic to pollen or cats, or you tell your wife it's cleaning or whatever else it is. But I do know this, your soul whether you like it or not, agree with it or not, your soul is deathly allergic to sin. It is not a preference, not eternally. Every one of us that are created in the image of God were called to light and life and truth and keeping. And every one of us ran to darkness and rejecting and lying. If you get bit by a snake and the venom is coursing through your bodies, you can put yourself in the dark And you can say, I don't want to see the bite. I don't want to see it. It's not there. You're still going to die. When venom is coursing through your body, you can lie. I'm big. I can eat at a Chinese buffet and have no problems. I'm going to handle this snake. It ain't no thing. You can lie to yourself all day long. You're still going to die. And you can reject the help of those around you. Hey, man, your leg looks an awful lot like a balloon. Maybe we should go to the hospital. No, 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 no. I'm not allergic to sin. It's just not my preference. And you can reject the truth all day long. You will die. But there was one who had zero allergies, zero contamination. And he was propped up on the cross. Every pollutant, disease, allergen, contaminant, sin was placed on him and in his righteousness. Jesus Christ, the righteous, in his righteousness, through his death on the cross, he becomes a remedy, a vaccination. He takes the death on himself and as his blood is applied to us, do we still live in a world with the flu? Yes, but I've been vaccinated by one who took the worst case there possibly could be. Do I see it everywhere I go? You better believe I do. But I have victory over it. And I don't have victory over it because I say I'm done sinning. I have victory over it because I'm still swinging. Because I haven't thrown in the towel. Because we haven't given up. If this is news to you, repent the gospel. Repent of your sins. 
First John 1 9, I read it to us earlier. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's walk in the Spirit, run the good race, fight the good fight, produce lasting fruit. Not because you earn anything, but because you can bring joy to the one who rescued you. Because you can bring joy to the one who was propped up in your place. I'm going to pray for us. I'll be in the back. If you need prayer, let's worship the King who did for us what we could not do and removes death from within any who ask Him to. Father, you are exceedingly good by giving us your word and you are exceedingly good by keeping it from beginning to end. We never have to question or doubt or wonder, is this going to stand the test of time? Other things may come and go, but your word will stand. And your word tells us something that is hard and difficult, that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us are polluted, but you don't leave us there. Instead, your son came in and surgically removes the death from within any who ask. He himself being propped up as the remedy for our sin and brokenness. So today, God, I pray that some would come to repentance, that they would ask that you would forgive them of their sins, that they would place their trust in you. And for those of us who are already walking and fighting and running and producing, may we not grow weary. Help us to keep swinging. Because it's not about our name, it's not about our fame, it's about yours. And the whole world and all of history bends around the name of Christ being lifted up. May we lift you up now in song, in prayer, in whatever means you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.